want to preach uh, today based on our gospel reading, but before we do that, sometimes uh, I think we mess in our liturgy how the different elements are tied to uh, the gospel reading. Sometimes it's uh, obvious and sometimes it's not so obvious. Sometimes, really, frankly, there's not much of a connection. <laughs> but, uh, but today, really, I think there is quite a connection. If you look back at the collect of the day, which is a, a prayer to collect our thoughts, that's what that word is. It means uh, we collect our thoughts on a theme for the day, and uh, that's a prayer that we would not be anxious about earthly things, but love things that are heavenly, that we would have an eternal heavenly perspective on uh, material things that are passing away. We are placed among things that are passing away, and so the prayer is that we would hold fast to eternal things. And then uh, from our prophet uh, from our Old Testament reading, the prophet Jeremiah talks about the idols that the people of Israel were running after in those, in those days, and it was breaking the prophet's heart, and it was provoking the anger of the Lord. Why do they have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? What's an idol of our day? What's one of the great idols of our day? It's exactly what Jesus is talking about in the gospel reading. Money or mammon. And that word mammon, you cannot serve both God and mammon or money, but mammon covers not just money, currency, coins, but also material possessions. And so both the collect and the, and the, and the prophet Jeremiah are, are, are calling us to understand that that these things are passing away, that they're idols that can pull us away from dependency and devotion to God. Because what can happen in a very affluent society uh, like we are in is that we can begin to look to mammon for what? Security, status, identity, comfort. And, 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 and those things, however, money itself is going to pass away. What remains is God. An eternal thing. So Jesus in our gospel reading is, is wanting his disciples to uh, understand that this is kind of a strategy of the enemy to lure them away from dependency and devotion to God and replace that devotion and dependency with an idol, which is mammon. And what he does in this gospel reading is he gives us a way of thinking and using, thinking about money and using money that will help loosen that, that grip of materialism on us. He teaches us, I think, there's two principles here that I want to really focus on in the gospel reading. And that is that our money, we should think of our money as a tool and our resources as a tool that God has given us to invest in others and to make an investment in others that will make an eternal difference in their life. And then the second thing that comes out in this teaching is Jesus wants us to think about our material possessions as a test, as a tool and as a test, a test of our stewardship, our test of our faithfulness to God. So I want to look at those, those two points in verse 9, if you look at the gospel reading, he says, and I tell you, this is after he has um, told this parable of the dishonest manager. 
He says, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Let me just kind of paraphrase this and expand on it. I think this is a fair paraphrase and application of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, whatever money God has given you or whatever material resources that you have, I want you to make friends. I want you to develop relationships. I want you to help others and bless others with that money, with those material resources, with the goal of seeing those people in heaven, that they might greet you in the eternal dwellings. Now, this comes on the heel of this interesting parable that Jesus tells about the dishonest manager. Some people say this is one of the hardest parables to figure out. Why is Jesus lifting up this guy who's a crook as an example? Well, he's not saying that we ought to follow this guy in terms of business practice. But, but he's saying, you know, you need to be as shrewd in using your resources for good as this man was as shrewd as using the resources he had his hands on for bad. And, and it, it starts with this, this, this manager who he has uh, wasted his owner's, his uh, boss's rather, possessions. We don't know exactly how he did that. Maybe he was dipping in for himself. But in verse 1, it says that he was wasting his possessions, his his. Um, boss's possessions and apparently he was guilty because the owner calls him in and he says to him I've caught wind of what you're doing turn in the account of your management hand over your keys give me the passwords pack up your things you're out of here and he doesn't mount any defense here he doesn't try to defend himself but what he does is he thinks to himself well what am I going to do now you know I, I can't go out and dig ditches. He's not strong enough, he says, to do that. And I'm not going to become a beggar. A beggar was just one rung above a, of, a, a, of a slave in this society this time. And so he says, I'm not going to lower myself to that. So I need to do something to secure my future. I need to do something to make sure that I'm going to have some friends, a place to stay after I lose this job. And so he calls in his master's debtor, it says in verse 5, one by one. And he offers them a one-time only discount plan. Pay it off today. And it's quite a, it's quite a discount. He says, a hundred measures, well, one debtor says, I owe a hundred measures of oil to your master. And he says, well, take your bill and sit down quickly and just write 50, half off. And he says to another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat. And he says, take your bill and write 80. This is a lot of money that he's writing off. If you look at the study Bibles, they'll tell you that that kind of, this is around about uh, a reduction of about 20 months worth of salaries here that he's writing off. Well, Jesus says that this man was very shrewd. This man uh, was a, a savvy, smart business guy. Again, Jesus isn't saying, I want you to act like this when it comes to business as Christians. That's not the point. But the point is, I want you disciples to be that smart, to be that intentional, to be that creative. To be that savvy in using your resources for the kingdom of God. For something that will last forever. You know, the dishonest manager knew he had only a little time left. He had been given his termination notice. And so he made the most of his time in order to invest in his future. And the point is, is that we, all of us, have a termination notice coming for us. 
You know, there is appointed once for a man to die, and then comes the judgment. We have a limited time to use the resources that God has given us to invest in eternal things. And Jesus says here, and it's just kind of an amazing thought if you think about it, quite literally, to use our resources to make friends, again, to build relationships, to bless others, to, to give to the poor. If we can use our resources to influence others for the kingdom of God, then Jesus is promising that, that one day we might see them, or we will see them, in the eternal dwellings in heaven. And I think that if we, if we think of that in very concrete terms, it's quite exciting to think about the possibilities there. You know, I know some of you here in this church are supporting, well, a lot of you are supporting various missions and ministries. We have one missionary that we support, um, Matt Walter, who does outreach to the Muslims in, in, in Tampa Bay. I just received an email from Matt Walter a couple of weeks ago, and he said that uh, there was a man that he had just baptized, an elderly man from Iraq. And this man was so excited after his baptism, he raised his hands, he was he was shouting for joy. He had a smile. You couldn't wipe the smile off his face. He was so elated that he had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that is somebody that you all have reached. If you're supporting Matt Walter, you all have reached through his ministry. You've invested in that man. Maybe someday you'll see him in heaven. Maybe someday he'll invite you in to his residence in heaven and say, look, you made this difference in my life for eternity. So, Whatever we have, we're called to use. It's a tool to give to the kingdom of God to invest in lives, whether it's a missionary or a local church, whether it's to build a, a well in Africa or a school in Haiti. These are things that we've been involved in in the past, whether it's to support some child through like World Vision and sponsor a child. We're called to use our resources to bless other people as a tool. And then Jesus talks about the resources that we've been given as a kind of test, a test of our stewardship. Verse 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Haven't you learned that lesson with people? Give them a little responsibility. If they do well with that little responsibility, you can kind of count on them to do better with greater responsibility. But if they're dishonest in the little things, you're not going to trust them with the great things. And the principle applies in the kingdom of God. If then, verse 11, you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, and by unrighteous, I think Jesus means that wealth leads people and can lead people to a state of unrighteousness. Not necessarily. Wealth in and of itself is a tool to be used for the kingdom of God. Wealth in and of itself, money, material possessions, of course, God gives us to supply our needs and our family. All that is good, but it can lead, if we become devoted to it, it can lead to unrighteousness. So he says, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another, who will give you that which is your own? You know, the true riches. We need to have an eternal perspective different from the world on the true value of money and material possessions. We need to invest in what's truly valuable in heaven's eyes. 
There's a story of a, of a wealthy man who was upset because he knew that when he died, he wasn't going to be able to take it with him, but he tried to get around that. And so he uh, told his family, you know, I, I've got a, a suitcase full of gold bricks. And, um, and he's got this suitcase full of gold bricks. And he said, now, when I die, I want you to take this, these gold bricks and put, it, put them in my coffin with me and chain me to the briefcase, the suitcase. And I've got the key in my pocket. This is kind of a silly story, but bear with me. <laughs> so when he dies, he gets to heaven. And St. Peter is there. And St. Peter says, what do you got in the, in the briefcase? And very proudly, he opens it up and he displays these gold bars. And St. Peter says, well, that's nice. You brought pavement. <laughs> you know, heaven's currency is different than the currency here on earth. What's valuable there is not as valuable here and vice versa. Are we investing in true riches? If you then have not been faithful and unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? Well, what are true riches? Well, Jesus talks about, over and over again in his teaching, treasure in heaven. Treasure in heaven. I don't have time to go into this, but I think, and the teaching is clear in Jesus's, I think that the teaching is clear in Jesus's parables, that there is a reward system in heaven. We don't get to heaven based on our works, but there is a reward system in heaven based on how faithful we've been with what God has given us. And I think also, according to Jesus' teaching, there's going to be expanded responsibility in the kingdom of God. I think that applies now. If we've been faithful in small things, God will expand our usefulness and our fruitfulness here on earth. But I think it applies to the new heavens and the new earth, that there'll be expanded responsibilities. For those who've been faithful in the little things here, God is going to give them responsibilities. They're going to be able to use the gifts and, and the talents that God has given them here in this world and the character that they've built for God to do something extraordinary for God in the next life. We're not going to just be passive sitting on a harp in heaven. There's going to be sitting on a cloud, strumming a harp in heaven. No, there's going to be responsibilities and work to do. But it's going to be work that doesn't make us tired. It's going to be work without the politics. It's going to be work in a... A, a sinless paradise. And so the call here is to be faithful with whatever God has given us to do. I read a story, of, this is a true story of a woman who didn't have a whole lot. She was a, a hairdresser. She was a widow. Uh, she lived in a small town. But she went to, she was Roman Catholic. She went to Mass every morning. And then after she went to Mass, she would bake bread. And she would bake bread for uh, churches that were run, raising funds. She would bake bread for the people who were doing homeless ministry, for family and for friends, for grandchildren as they got older, and, and, and anybody who was in need. And her philosophy was very simple. God tells us to, to give us what we have, and all I really have is bread, but I can use it to bless others. And that's what she did, and she was known in town for doing those sort of acts of kindness. And it was a blessing to many people. So we're called to be faithful in whatever God has given us as a, as a, as a, as a tool to use for his glory. 
and is a test for our, our, our stewardship, a test of our stewardship. At the end of this, uh, Jesus says these famous words at the end of this passage, no servant can serve two masters. You, you can't be under the authority as a servant or a slave of two masters. They'll be pulling you in different directions. Eventually, you, you will come to hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can use your money in service to God, but you can't serve them both. And uh, in our congregation, we have people who have found the joy of, of generosity. They've discovered the joy of freedom from being a slave to money, and they've discovered how to use their money or whatever material resources they have for the glory of God. And that's a great example to all of us. But you know, the tragedy is that there's so many people in our culture who are enslaved to money, to mammon, and that's their idol. And whatever idol you're enslaved to, you're going to have to sacrifice to. And can't we see in our culture around us that there are people sacrificing to this God of money? Some people sacrifice their health and the best years of their life. Some people sacrifice their family. They don't have family relationships because they're so concerned about shoring up an identity or security through money. Some people, we hear this all the time, sacrifice their moral principles at the altar of mammon. Some people sacrifice their satisfaction, chasing after money. Again, God gives us these resources. In and of themselves, they're not bad, but they can't displace loyalty and devotion to God. I read about recently um, the inventor of the game Minecraft. Do you have Minecraft on your phone? He's a billionaire, of course. He's a Swedish billionaire. He's worth $1.2 billion. After he received that windfall, he went out and he bought a $70 million mansion. He outbid Beyonce and Jay-Z for this mansion. That's how much money this guy had. And this, this, this mansion has, of course, a movie theater, a theater in it and 15 bathrooms, and the toilets alone cost $5,000 a piece. And so that's the kind of money he has. But, you know, he tweeted out last year, he tweeted out this. The problem with getting everything is that you run out of reasons for trying. Now he's lost a sense of significance. And then he also said this, this is the next tweet. I'm partying and hanging out with famous people. I've never felt so isolated in my life. It couldn't satisfy him. See, God has put this in, in, eternal longing for him, an infinite God. This infinite desire can only be filled by an infinite God. God has put a longing in our hearts to make an eternal difference in people's lives. God has put a longing in our heart for true treasure. And that's what Jesus reminds us of and calls us to in this passage. Let's pray.